0: (laughs) Everybody loves a story, don't they? Don't you love stories? But some stories are primarily told to amuse Other stories are told to amuse and to educate And the psalmist Asaph wrote a psalm that was not necessarily written to amuse. It was written to convict It was written to remind, it was written to help us remember who we are. It was written to help Israel think back through its history, to think of the good times and the hard times. The psalm is Psalm 78, it's a long one, bless you. 76 verses, you okay, Tom? All right. (laughs) Yeah, he's being entertained over there, this is good. And uh, so the psalmist begins, the psalm with a very definite statement that this psalm is written to educate listen to how he begins by the way uh, if you don't have a bible the pew bible in front of you works really well and if you follow along this will help you get this psalm into your system he said my people hear my teaching i was going to tell a story but he began by saying hearing my torah my teaching, my instruction. Listen to the words of my mouth. So he says, first of all, hear. Hear. Gear in. Hear my teaching. And then he says, listen, or literally extend your ear. Extend your ear. Sort of like what Jesus said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Asaph opens the psalm by saying, I'm going to say something that you need to hear. Listen. Hear. Hear. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from of old. This this word parable, I will open my mouth with a a veiled saying. Uh, Matthew in chapter 13 quoted this verse introducing Jesus' teaching in parables. And the teaching in parables was designed to force people to hear the story and then to say, what is the meaning of this story? So it's not only engage the ears, but engage the mind. It's the difference between hearing and listening. We hear with our ears, we listen with our mind. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a, open my mouth with a parable, I will utter sayings from old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, nothing new here. You've heard it before, but I want you to hear it again. And I want you to hear it, Asaph is saying, in a very particular way, because I want to teach you something. Then he switched a bit he said we will not hide these teachings from our ancestors descendants we will not hide these things from our ancestors descendants our own children our grandparents want us to pass on what they passed on to us to our children we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the lord his power and the wonders he has done he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So he goes oh, now back in their history to the day of Moses. One of Israel's greatest leaders, this man Moses, who brought them out of, the, out of slavery in Egypt and gave them the law. And he said, this story I'm going to tell you that we must pass on to our children begins with God's giving us a way to live, his commands, his statutes, and we must pass these on. Because these commands and these statutes and these laws that God gave us are designed for two things. They're designed to keep us from sinking into the swamp of immorality and and dejection, to protect us from ourselves. If you do these things, your life will not work very well. So it makes sense to listen to them. But in addition, not only do they keep you from living a lousy life, they will help you live a lovely life. These commands are not just said, don't do this and don't do that, and do this and do that, aren't just to keep you out of trouble. It's not like God looked at for centuries at people and said, these are all the things they enjoy, we're going to make them stop. No, 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 no. That's not what the I want you to protect yourselves from destruction. And, furthermore, if you follow my teachings, your life will blossom. Your life will be better than you ever dreamed it could be. And that's why he's saying, not only do you need to listen, you need to pass it on to the next generation. That's what's going on right now over here. Dear Sherry, teaching those little kids. After this service, Sherry and I are going to do a confirmation class with some of our younger teens. Teaching them these truths that will protect them from ruining their lives and help them live productive lives. That's what this is all about. We talk about VBS, oh, whole fun time for the kids. They have a great time. But they're learning what Asaph is saying we as a congregation are absolutely committed, must be committed to doing. To teach their children to the next generation so that, so that the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children that they would put the, then they, their children and their own children and their children's children, will put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. So much of what we're commissioned to do is to pass on the teachings of this book to the next generation to do it in a way that they get it, that they get it. After the Passover, God's great salvation experience for Israel while they were in Egypt, God said, now listen, I don't want you people to ever forget what happened here. Every year, seventh day of the second month of every year, celebrate this Passover. Remember it. And then when Jesus was celebrating the Passover 1,400 years later with his own disciples, he said, I'm going to take this meal that you have celebrated as Jews all of your life, and I'm going to fill it with brand new meaning because this bread that we're eating represents my body, which is broken for you. And this wine that we're drinking represents my blood that was poured out to forgive you for your sins. Don't ever stop celebrating this, Jesus said. Same thing Asaph is saying. Remember, pass it on. And then the book, the the great Shema in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today, you shall teach to your children and to your grandchildren. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, all the time, all the time. These words will be on your heart and you shall teach them to your children. Because what is on your heart is what will be in your home. And it begins with you. And it begins with me. Teaching our own kids. And then having people like Sherry. Saturday, I was up in Santa Monica with my kids. We're taking little Austin. He's going to be 10 next week sitting in the back seat, taking him to a soccer game. We're talking about the soccer game. He said, hey, Pop, what's that lady's name who taught Sunday school when I was there last summer? He said, Sherry. Oh, I love Sherry. I can't wait to see Sherry again. Isn't that beautiful? It was last summer he saw her. We should thank God that we have such a gifted person with our kids. Because, folks, that's what it's about. But Sherry can't do it. God didn't give my kids and my grandkids to Sherry. He gave them to me. My job is to find a church where there is a Sherry. (laughs) So she reinforces what we're doing at home. But don't ever, ever look at the church and say, you didn't do the job for my kids. My kids aren't walking with God because you didn't do your job. Maybe... If you're not hearing the Word of God from this pulpit, and you're not being taught the Word of God, then that's my hickey. That's my responsibility. So, we're coming upon a time we have a pastor nominating committee. We just finished with our own nominating committee, selecting people for you to vote on and to approve and to... uh, uh, follow as leaders, deacons, and elders, and the next year's nominating committee to make sure we have godly men and women who are in the leadership of this church, who are making sure that the word of God is being taught. I don't believe there is a more important moment in a church's life than when they select their next generation of lay leaders. Yes, selecting a pastor is important, but pastors come and go. It's that steady group of people who God has commissioned to keep this place faithful and true and to make sure we are doing what ASAP is so concerned about here. We commissioned some deacons and elders and nominating committee folks and trustees last week we're going to do a few more today we're going to ordain a deacon today so I think it's appropriate to stop and think what are we doing here does this matter does this make any difference these people haven't been to seminary good for them but whoever we have saying this is how we are going to manage and lead and operate this Palm Desert Community Presbyterian Church. We're gonna make sure that the word of God is faithfully and effectively taught so that the next generation would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds and keep his commands and they would not be like their ancestors. Asaph is saying to the children of Israel, And then he goes for the next bunch of verses, from verse 9 on through verse 67. Talking about, it's almost like a whiplash, reading this portion of Scripture, because it says, here's how Israel abandoned God and disobeyed God and and didn't follow God's instructions. And God forgave them, and God restored them, and God was patient with them. Oh, that's good. And then they disobeyed again. Well, Let me just take you through it here. Beginning here at at, uh, verse, uh, my glasses don't work as well as they used to. My eyes are still good. It's the glasses here. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Going down to verse 10, they did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. And then we go back, he did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt. And he talked about how God brought their people, their ancestors, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and opened the Red Sea and those wonderful miracles. Verse 17, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness. And he talked about this time when they were, they grumbled and griped about everything in the wilderness. Verse 23, yet God Gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. Even though they were disobedient, God did not forget his covenant promises. And he took care of them, and he fed them, and he led them in the wilderness. Verse, 20, verse 32, in spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 38, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they put God to the test. They did not remember his power. They did not remember the day he redeemed them from the oppressor. Verse 42, how soon we forget. The people of Israel Forgot. We practice this thing every month. Yet I confess, there are days, I have my time in the morning, my time of prayer, I call it my perspective time. I used to call it my quiet time. But it used to get real quiet. I'd start reading, about 30 minutes later, I'd wake up with drool on my Bible. (laughs) Because I was just going through the motions. I renamed it perspective time, because it's a time I stop and say, okay, Lord, Get my vision right. Help me remember who you are. Because you are who your word says you are. And I am who your word says I am. And sometimes I get that reversed. Instead of remembering I'm created in your image, I create you in my image. And all my limitations become your limitations. And my fears become your fears. And that ain't right. So, just this regular reminder. For me, I have a short attention span, a short memory. I have to do it every day. Some of you say, well, I do it less than that, but whatever. The danger is, what he said is the reason Israel got so messed up is they forgot. They did not remember his power. They stopped thanking him for the marvelous redemption he gave them. Them coming out of Egypt, us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation and then he talked down here about the again back to the uh, the time of in Egypt and the plagues and how God supernaturally worked to deliver his people he brought his people out like a flock he led them like sheep through the wilderness he guided them safely so they were unafraid now we come to the book of numbers he brought them to the border of his holy land he took them carefully safely through the desert Verse 55, he drove out the nations before them and allotted their lands to them. Now are in the book of Joshua. And then, but, after all that that God did, verse 56, but they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High and were in the book of Judges. So it's just this, this preview of their history. And their history was this back and forth deal. God's faithfulness, their unfaithfulness. That sounds kind of familiar. There's a guy who lives in my apartment like that. And I live alone. Don't look so pious. (laughs) You're just as rotten as I am. Some of you are excused. But for most of us, back and forth, thank God for his grace and his forgiveness. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, give, to forgive us our sins. And then he goes after they got into the land in the book of Judges, and the book of first part of 1 Samuel, they were so rebellious. And God had to discipline them. And it was a hard, hard time in Israel because God loves us enough to bring pain into our life to reverse our course if he sees us heading over a cliff. And that's what God did. My dad used to say, "There's nothing wrong with that kid that a size 12 won't cure. And that's God's mantra. some of you have experienced God's size 12, and it got your attention. You see, "Now I've got to stop that. I' got to stop that. I was with Chris this week and we went to the bank and he's made friends with a guard who sits outside the Wells Fargo there in Santa Monica. And on the way out, the guy showed him his little uh, badge for his AA badge. And was saying, man, I thank God. And Chris said, six years for me. God got Chris's attention, brought him back. Thank God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his size 12. And that's where he ends up here, just before we come to verse 64, after it seemed like things were just, everything was coming unraveled, and then Asaph said in verse 64, then the Lord awoke as from sleep. It's like God said, we've got to stop this, this downward thing. So what did he do next? How did God, when he woke up, when he saw this? And God didn't literally wake up. You you get the imagery here with the thing. And now we come to the, the first lesson that Asaph wants us to understand from this psalm. The first lesson is we have to pass this truth on. Carly, you prayed for our country. Thank you. This country is in trouble because our churches are in trouble. We are the light on a hill. But in many, many communities, that light is awfully dim. We are literally on a hill. Let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is from Moses and David. We learn that God values leadership. Look what he said. When God awoke, go down here to verse 70, he chose David, his servant. He took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. So when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God raised up a Moses. And when Israel got to the point where they were just at the bottom of the well again, and God's presence was vacant from the country, said, I'm not even gonna live among you anymore. My Ark of the Covenant is living now with the Philistines. You don't deserve it. But then God said, no, we're not gonna let this go. So what did he do? He went to the sheep pens. He found another shepherd. Moses was a shepherd called by God to lead his people. David was a shepherd called by God, and notice the language, to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. God said, I need a good leader because these are my people. I love these people. I am committed to these people. I am in a covenant relationship with these people. I couldn't abandon them if I wanted to. I need to raise up a shepherd. David's definition of a shepherd? Read Psalm 23. Because God is my shepherd, I I will want for nothing, I will fear nothing, I will be anxious for nothing. And God said, that's what I'm looking for with these folks, that you people, what's the word? I want to say induct, but that's not the right word. Choose as your leaders. There's a better word, but that works. Israel, his inheritance. And then he talked about David. David shepherded them with integrity of his heart. With skillful hands, he led them. We read three things about David's leadership here, which we want to model in our leaders that we select and in our own lives as we lead others, our neighbors, our children, our grandchildren, each other, our friends, to have a positive influence on them. And the first thing he said about David is he understood that God had chosen him and it was God's privilege for him to be a leader and that he was leading God's people they weren't his people, they were God's people. What an awesome responsibility. And David, I believe, was crushed with that. He understood that. And second thing we read about David is he shepherded them with the integrity of his heart. With the integrity of his heart. How does he define integrity? Look back here at verse, Psalm 15. David asks this question, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Who may abide in your presence? He says, first, someone who speaks the truth from their heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When they speak honestly, when they speak unthinkingly, they speak truth from their heart. And I love this one. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change her mind. Yeah, I said I'd be there, but I got a better deal. I know we had an appointment, I got a better thing going, so, eh, sorry, i am show up later, I don't show up at all. So, we say, well, I would never tell a lie. I have that much integrity, of heart, but there's so many ways that we get careless about our life. There's a, uh, a wonderful book. I've sold hundreds of this book, as using it as a textbook in the course, the Leadership Challenge by Kuzis and Posner. And, and the motto of this book is DWYSYWD. And I have students, two years after the course, three years after the course, they come, they come back to school and they look at me and say, hey, DWYSYWD, you got it, baby. It means do what you say you will do. The Kuzis and Posner interviewed over 100,000 People on six continents asking them the question, What do you look most, what's the most important thing you look for in a person you would follow willingly as a leader? 89% of them said, Honesty. Number one, honesty. David shepherded them with the integrity of his heart. And second, he Led them with skillful hands. He led them with skillful hands. We've got to have integrity of heart, but we also got to know some stuff about leading. There are a lot of wonderful, godly people who couldn't lead a troop of Boy Scouts to dinner. You've got to have both. Skillful hands. Lead is a verb. It's something we do. The th- Third quality that Kuzis and Posner discovered at 69% of people is competent. They know how to lead. In my leadership classes, I put on the PowerPoint a Hebrew phrase, the Lord is my shepherd in Hebrew. And I say, how many of you can read that? Well, nobody can read it. I say, okay, that's a conscious incompetence. You know you can't read Hebrew. So you probably wouldn't take a job where reading Hebrew is an essential part of the job. It's a conscious incompetence. And I put the word lead up there. And I said, for a lot of us, that's an unconscious incompetence. You're just as lousy at leading as you are reading Hebrew. You just don't know it. So you would take a job where leading is part of it, and you're clueless. So David had integrity of heart, but he also had skillful hands. It takes both knowing that I am a leader because God has called me to lead his people, to do his work. Secondly, I lead them, I shepherd them. I love them, I care for them with the integrity of heart. And third, I lead them with skillful hands.